from One of One Production Studio, located in Fort Lee, New Jersey, this is the Art of Music Tech. And now, here's your host, Fela and Dennis. Let's go, let's go, let's go, and welcome to the Art of Music Tech podcast. I'm your host, Fela, and I'm here with my co-host, Dennis. Hello. <laughs> uh, and I'm here with an old friend, brother, uh, a guy that I've known since the beginning of knowing what a fader is, <laughs> and that's Eddie Hernandez, uh, a.k.a. E. Mix. Let's go. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate y'all. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Um, I want we wanted to do this for a while. It's just mm-hmm. been schedules, and I know your schedule is all you know, we're we're all over the place, but right. finally. <laughs> Name of the game, you know. Yes. Exactly. I mean, what we've been doing, um, just to give everybody a little background. Uh, me and Eddie met at Full Sail University. Uh, it wasn't even a university when we went, a matter of fact. So, <laughs> what was it? Uh, it, it was uh, like a trade school or so. Real then, education. Yeah, yeah. But you can just get your, your associates when we went at the right. time. Now you can get a master's degree and all types of things. So um, uh, let's get into that. Um, what made you go to Full Sail? And uh, I, I'm... Also interested, where you're from, uh, what's your background, your parents, too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'll start from the, I guess, the very beginning. From the beginning. From the beginning. <laughs> uh, well, my father's Puerto Rican from Puerto Rico, and uh, my mother's uh, Mexican uh, by way of LA, Los Angeles. Um, they actually met each other in Germany when my father and her were both in the armed uh, services. And um, I was born there. Uh, I didn't stay there long, and no, I don't know how to speak German. Um, I was an army brat for a while, but was uh, located. Uh, we pretty much uh, set roots down in uh, Miami, Florida, North Miami, to be exact. And I was about five years old, and I've uh, been there and still live there currently, uh, North Miami. Um, music for me started with my dad's record collection. Um, to his credit, he was a pretty... Uh, Pretty all-around uh, music lover. Uh, anything from jazz and, of course, uh, the Latin uh, influences of salsa and uh, nice. a lot of Motown, and then also a lot of hard rock. So, um, you know, uh, they both worked um, uh, a lot. So I was home alone a lot. I'm an only child, so um, I used to dig through those uh, crates and. Um, really just kind of picked music by the cover and whatever kind of grabbed me i just pop it on and see what it was um and a lot of the early stuff i was listening to was um i i I really i really got locked into the beatles heavy and um and it because it was kind of more than music they were doing a lot of just really different sounding stuff sounds yeah (laughs) right they were like reversing things and sampling birds and yeah it was definitely super interesting to me and at that point you know i'm you know young very young and it's not even about the technicality of it i just it was purely off the feel of what i was listening to and, and 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 it drew me to the point where um i started taking his records and keeping them in my room um which ended up 
um, like being kind of a, 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 I don't know, a beautiful accident in a way. When um, I was here during uh, Hurricane Andrew, and when uh -huh. Hurricane Andrew hit, his his record collection was in the living room, and um, that window got broken out, Ooh. and all those records got ruined. And the only records that survived were the records that I was supposed to be putting back, but I was keeping them in my room. Um, so those are all the Beatle records, Michael Jackson records, Motown records, um, and a couple salsa records that I just always listen to. And to this day, I have them framed in my house. I put them on the wall now. Nice. nice. So that's how, it, that's how it kind of started real basic. And then um, as I grew, um, because I was an only child, my dad used to like uh, let me stay over my uh, grandmother's house. And had an uncle who was like three years older than me um was more like a big brother to me and yeah. um he started playing bass in a in a heavy metal group and um All i'd right. be there during <laughs> yeah <laughs> like heavy heavy like we yeah. were listening to metallica yeah and so they would have rehearsals in our in that in, in his garage there my grandma's house so we'd have the full band in there, drums, uh, you know, bass, guitar, singer. So we had amps, effects, pedals, all that running. And that was AKA uh, duly, uh, a duly used space for his room and my room too. So we used uh -huh. to sleep in there with all his gear. <laughs> nice. And, and again, being that I was the only child and I was younger and he would go out and hang out with his friends, I'd be there by myself. I would tap into these effects processes, start playing with them, play the bass a little bit, and just get the tones and sounds, play the drums. And so um, it was a kind of it was a real harsh contrast um, to my neighborhood. I'm growing up. I'm I'm basically giving you the origins of kind of like all where all my musical influences came from. Started yeah. with my dad before I went outside. <laughs> then it, it started to expand with my grandma's house with that heavy metal. And then it was when I started hanging out with my friends in the neighborhood. My friends in the neighborhood was all, you know, hip hop and rap. So this is like mid nineties by then, right? Um, like this is like early nineties or early, uh, not late eighties. Late eighties, okay. Well, okay, we yeah, we're dating myself. Well, okay, Luke and stuff about it. Yeah, I mean, we're, yeah, for sure. Definitely, definitely Luke <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, definitely Miami. Luke yeah, let's you know, go. It's a different. We was a different generation, and I was moving around <laughs> the neighborhood when I was nine years old. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. nine in that's that city life. Okay, right, right. <laughs> but that was hip hop, and then back then, in in that era, it was real conflicting because um, it was either your heavy metal or your rap. Yeah, and and in in my community that I grew up in, um, you know, you were considered what they call a headbanger, skateboarding, all that shit was uh -huh. not the thing. Yeah. On some on, on honestly, on some fight shit, like they'll. They'll fight you over that. Oh, you yeah, jump. Yeah, they jump you <laughs> riding a skateboard. This headbanger. You so end up fighting crazy. too, right? No. Did you uh, end up fighting? Did you end up fighting too? I was always, a, I was, you know, I would, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get too deep on that. But I, was, <laughs> I come from that neighborhood. Hey, as they say, you gotta know your hands. You gotta have some hands right, on you. Right? Yeah, I did a lot of that, and I mean, and they, and I have respect. So even yeah. though they were kind of kid, so, my friends were kid about it. Uh, you know, I, I kind of earned my rank, my rights to listen to whatever I wanted to listen. No, no. So I wasn't in. Yeah, it was. So you know, I was always a happy-go-lucky music uh, 
loving kid, but you know, the, the neighborhood I would grew up in, it definitely toughened me up early. And um, also it kind of made me understand the differences in the audiences that were uh, appreciating different types of music where I always felt like I, and I, I never had those boundaries from the yeah, beginning. Yeah. I never understood those boundaries. I, <laughs> I know, know, right? Whatever was good music was good music. So that's right. And True. that was something that I developed early that, um, you know, it worked out. Every engineer yeah. needs that. First of all, is you just need to love sounds and just like, well, what makes this sound right? Or, you know, getting it to its best, right. its best thing, you know, it can be. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, regardless of what, you know, um, you know, any any kind of genre, I've never been, you know, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite type of music or what's your favorite? Good music. Good music. Good music. Yeah. It could be country or, or uh, orchestral. Yeah. It could be whatever. If it, if it moves me, it moves me. I'm not going to I'm not going to let the the labels uh, dictate how it, it affects me, you know. So fast forward. um now we're looking now we're in the mid uh i'd say mid to late 90s i'm probably about six, 16 17. um i had some friends that were djs and i started hooking up with them um just hanging out they had like a little fake studio set up in the back of their uh their house there and they had some dj equipment we used to go there you know just hang out and I was just like, uh, before that, we were just kind of, we were all good kids, man, just getting into trouble, though, because we didn't have nothing better to do, you know? We were just hanging out in the park, mm -hmm. and then somebody would suggest, let's go do something, and <laughs> now we're in a stolen car or something. Damn. So this was the the first time that I had some friends that were doing something uh, fun and interesting, but also very like productive. And, and positive. And positive, right? Yeah. And they started setting up. They were doing like uh, dances at our high school and stuff like that. And here's kind of like a, a a cool little uh, cross point where with another uh, pair of amazing and uh, big time producers. Our 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 uh, what I guess OGs are like uh, our big brothers in 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 the industry now. Were Cool and Dre. Oh, and, yeah. And Cool and Dre were DJs back then. And Cool and Dre were doing the bigger parties. So we were like up under them in a way because we were the little, the younger kids coming out right behind them doing little parties for our, our people too. And, and if you're not familiar, Cool and Dre, I mean, just prolific producers, hip hop producers, if you've never heard right. of Cool and Dre. So so yeah. from the beginning, you you knew that, well, the right. earlier. Yeah, we're all from the same yeah. neighborhood. We're all from nice. the same Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so Cool and Dre and them, you know, not not that they had a big influence on us at that time. We didn't hang out because they, they were older and they were kind of already moving on a bigger level. But they definitely, uh, you know, showed us love when when we crossed paths. And it, yeah, you know, it's a trip now. You know, I talk, I tell Dre all the time when I see him that, man, you know, we used to be little kids just sneaking into y'all shows and stuff. And, <laughs> And you know it, and it's so big. And Dre was the first one to shout out our our, our city, North Miami, and the record. So that was all. Uh -huh. So that 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 started happening, and then that little studio in the back started to progress and turn into like a real studio where the the the, the young gentleman, our, our buddy, actually started signing acts and stuff like that. We had people coming from all over the city, like North Miami, uh, coming to his studio to work. Um, I really didn't do any engineering then at all. Um, oh. Do you um, remember equipment you had back then? What kind uh, of equipment? Man, I still don't know, man. He sent off for this program. 
and it was like way ahead of his time. It wasn't Pro Tools. It, I don't know what it was. It was, it was digital, right? It was digital. Right. It was on computer. Okay. Oh, that good. wasn't my first setup because this is what ends up happening is um I'm hanging out with them, but I could never, I never had time to get in on the equipment because he had that thing slammed. There was always people there working. There was always, they were always, uh, you know, recording or producing. So I would kind of go there and, uh, and watch. And little by little, I had just got a job. This is when I just graduated uh, high school. I got a job. I was actually uh, in the uh, medical field. I was an EMT. I took, you know, I did a bunch of stuff, uh, phlebotomy and uh, soft cast, et cetera, et cetera, EKGs. But after work, I'd come there and I would just kind of like observe and I would learn. And so then I would buy my own equipment. And then I'd work on my own. So I still own my first uh, Korg D8 8-track digital recorder. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bought me a Dr. Bass, Dr. Rhythm DR5. And and I would just kind of learn with them and then go and take my own time and just apply everything and, and work on stuff. And then come back and play them tapes. I was recording everything in a cassette tape. No. Of course. <laughs> Play it to them on a Walkman and just like, yo, you know, put these he- headphones on, listen to this, <laughs> and um, that's how the the love kind of started. Um, I kind of was I was moving around doing some stuff with some my DJ homeboys. We were on the radio on local pirate radio, um, but it didn't really feel. I I I knew I loved it and I was dedicating a lot of time to it, but it didn't feel like a reality of a of a yeah, career a career yeah <laughs> there was no gap there was no bridge there for me to actually say okay you do this 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 and this is how you get over there mm-hmm. it was kind of just we're doing us and i don't know you know and then um one day we were at the studio and our local uh there, there was a, a a local grand opening to a music store in our right in our neighborhood probably a mile away from our house so we all like got up got together and walked over there and there was the 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 full sale tour bus and uh we went on nice. there and they gave us all the pamphlets everybody's excited and that was the first time i was like wow they actually give degrees for this this is uh-huh. something wow and I, I was amazed i looked at the little pamphlet i sent away for the the, the big booklet yeah, got yeah. all of that <laughs> uh-huh. and um i was go to work every day with this little booklet man and read it cover to cover and I right was, i knew those rooms <laughs> <laughs> I knew same here, so well. same here. It was like you knew who Leslie was by the time. Exactly. Magazine, exactly. On the pool table. That's still like <laughs> yep, holding an Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That was my introduction to was that magazine. Oh, it was just like there's people that do this and yeah. they live off of it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was like that too. Is in South Carolina, like everybody's like, you can't make nobody does that, you know. It's a couple people, okay, but yeah. So (laughs) it was definitely some secret society stuff that you just had to kind of know know somebody to know somebody to get in before that. That was yeah, was missing. Yeah, yeah, it 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 was total. uh, What is it when you know like family member? Nepotism. It's a word for it. Uh, uh, nepotism. 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 It, was, it was straight nepotism before yeah. I, I, and I couldn't even think of it. Like, yeah, unless you were like Quincy Jones's second cousin. Like, you had to like know somebody super deep in the industry was always the feel, especially yeah. in that day. 
And that was before the internet. And you couldn't just reach out as easily as you can oh, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I tell that's... All the time, yeah. You got, oh. you got YouTube, you got so much stuff. <laughs> I, I literally went to that same music store I told you had the grand opening and would buy the books. Yes. Mix I, Magazine and all the, yeah. like, even the magazines and the book. Yeah, just... I because uh because like again I bought that I bought that eight track I didn't even have a car I was I, I went and bought it on a bicycle and brought the box you know in, in my lap <laughs> and, and you know and literally figured it out read the yeah. manual and then they said oh if you want to you want to sync you want to record your your drums in on time with the rest of music you need to sync it with MIDI and I said what's MIDI and I'd go buy a book on MIDI MIDI read read about MIDI um daisy chaining all that stuff so i got to a point where this is all before full sale i was daisy chaining already samplers and, and keyboards and all that yeah little by little i was just building my little studio setup uh-huh and, and and again it wasn't at that time i was still not it had no direction of this is my career this is what i'm gonna do yeah. this was just something that it started it really became like a, it started it was a slow burn like uh, obsession like i want to man i want to how do they do that oh they oh i'm gonna buy the sampler oh i'm gonna buy that how do you how do you loop things and and i just kept on doing it and getting yeah. better at it and i had some homeboys that was rapping but like it was weird when i when i bought all my equipment it's like everybody stopped doing it and I, <laughs> so, so i started like i didn't want to rap but i started rapping just so i can go through the recording process and like yeah do songs you know that's and, key uh, you, yeah, that's key. Figuring out how to do it yourself and doing it yourself whenever you have time. I tell students to do that all the time. It's just yeah. like you just got to get into the the rhythm of it. Get lost. And uh, whether you have to create it. I mean, if nobody's around and you do it like what, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. I always call it I call it getting lost like uh, <laughs> and then figure your way back, like crank stuff up, turn stuff down. You know, you gotta you gotta see the extremes of all the parameters, and you can find your middle ground and find find out where you're at. You know, so I I mean exactly. I do that I do that now because yeah. yeah, especially in studios that I'm not uh, I'm not uh, familiar, familiar with, with. Yeah. right? Like, because because even if they have some gear that looks familiar, it might not respond the same way. Mm -hmm. So I'll still push the gear a little bit just to see because sometimes I something simple it'll be like the gain staging is weird on it, so I don't I, you know you hit it like a like a like a like a like a little bit like a millimeter and all of a sudden it's like blasting and it's like so then something's wrong with the circuitry here but now i know and i can still figure it out and still have a you know productive yeah. session so anyway um yeah i did that and then um it just started it, it started to really take a hold of me and then i just started saying man i'm gonna go to the, the open house I, I i wasn't letting this thing go and i went to the open house and i was blown away i went by oh, that's the selling Oh, you went yeah. by yourself? Wow. I went by, my, I went by myself. That's the first time I drove that far by myself. It was a four-hour trip from Miami. Uh-huh. And I got lost on the way. And I had my that was back when we had um had printed up the, uh, Map Quest. Oh Map no, Quest. that was way before Google Map, Map Quest yeah, would get you yeah. even more lost. Yeah, I up the Map Quest and got lost and you know, found myself. I mean. That was I just I had got a cell phone, but remember these are primitive cell phones. There ain't no email or nothing on it. Ain't no <laughs> but I was lost. I had to stop, ask some people, got to where I got to go, did it, amazed, came back, jaded. Now I like if the world was great to me, and this is the only thing that was gonna, you know, solve my 
my, my, my empty hole in my heart. Yeah. So I, I worked for another like two years and saved up money, applied for, you know, support and everything, got in. And I wasn't a great student previous to that. But um, I was like, man, I'm spending this money. And then I, I was doing a lot of like um, no-nos as far as my uh, family was concerned, because to them, I was already on the way to be a successful person. I was working in the hospital. Oh, you know, they're already telling people I'm a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. Oh, wow. Like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's going to be. Oh, it's my doctor. He wants. He's going to be, you, <laughs> oh, know, you know. You know, especially island people, you know, it's like, you know, oh, yeah. doctor, lawyer, he had to do something. Yeah. yeah. They came from the island. They sacrificed and look at, look at my guy, look at, look at my son, my grandson. He's going to be, uh-huh. but uh, then I said, nah, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do music. And I was like, eh? uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. you don't even play an instrument. Like <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? You're making money now and now you're going to not make money, pay money to learn something. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So I had a lot of opposition. So I came into it with a chip on my shoulder to prove that my decision was uh, the the right one. Mm-hmm. So I came in there super militant, like super. I ain't playing. And what's so funny, right? Like I remember I went up with my girl, which Fela knows. Uh huh. The mother of my child, which he's doing well. He's in college now. Damn. Yo. Wow. But um, <laughs> I went up with her. And I remember telling her, yeah, that's it, man. I'm sitting front row. I'm taking notes. And see, I've never been a morning person. I remember our first, uh, our first like three months, you know, the general classes. Uh-huh. Oh, man, they were early. <laughs> and <laughs> almost like probably the first class in, I'm sitting here. Just, <laughs> I'm front row and I'm just bobbing. I'm, I'm, all the intent is there. I, I want to be this... You know, bright and early. So I I <laughs> hey, I was right there with you on the first row. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not in, exactly. But, but I kicked ass in notes, and I did what I had to do. I, oh yeah. You know, um, it's funny how things work out. Where I met a couple guys that were um, like-minded guys um, that lived near me, which one of them was Shema. Mm-hmm. Um, which is Sakbase, which is now he's produced, you know, for Rihanna and Rihanna, yeah. And Dope. Okay. Kanye West and all these people. This was a dude that was in my class that he was from Fort Lauderdale, but we met in Orlando at Full Cell. Uh-huh. And we just became real good buddies and and we, we were all on the first row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what we all did pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> so we um we studied we what we would do is we would jump in people's uh their um labs you know their after class uh studio time that we would we would do ours and then we would do other people's and then you know we would because you know that's what they kind of promoted back then some people would leave yeah leave the the labs early so yeah it was room so So, yeah you know taking advantage of every opportunity yeah so fast forward we graduate everything like that um I was lucky enough that I had a studio, which is funny that when I first started attending Full Sail, I found out that there's a studio literally three blocks from my house. Um, uh, a rather well, well-known well studio um, to the industry, but not really in our neighborhood. It was so low-key. Uh-huh. Um, where, like, Betty Wright did a lot of recording there. Uh, Soul inner, music, yeah. Clean Up inner, Woman and all that kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Inner <laughs> circle. Well, Clean Up Woman was earlier. That was oh, that was too. early. Okay. 
that was earlier than that. But well, because I also have the world famous Criteria Studios down the street from us, also not too far from us. So, uh -huh. which Criteria Studios, Clean Up Woman, you got um, James Brown, I Feel Good. The yeah, BG, most of the BG stuff was done at Criteria. They oh, just nice. had a and the hit guy, uh, that um, was there forever. Was that where, um, the older guy, Tom that, yeah, yeah, Dow, Tom Dow was there, like yeah. Tom Dow came down there. You know, they did a lot of the uh, Eric Clapton stuff, Allman mm -hmm. Brothers stuff. Layla was, was recorded at Criteria Records in Miami. Nice. Oh, wow. Um, so there's a lot of you know, Hotel California was recorded there. So oh, wow, I didn't of, know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all ma major hits. Uh, like yeah. I said, uh, I feel good. James mm. Brown, that was the first hit that came out of that studio. That's what put that studio on the map. Uh huh. I believe that was like '56 or something like that. Jeez. Um. So, Tom Dowd, his seconds, uh, which then later became the the head engineers. There were were two brothers named. Uh, uh, Howard and Albert, uh, no, Howard, <laughs> Ron and Howard Albert, their last name is Albert. And those guys became the head engineers. They became head engineers, owners of the studio that I started at. So those were my mentor, my first mentors. Nice. Um, and one of the Bee Gees engineers was also one of their partners, which he's in the documentary too. If you see this new documentary, the Bee Gees, this day, they do a lot of, they do a lot of, uh, coverage oh, on the criteria definitely have to check that out okay uh, one of the their engineer was uh carl richardson and um he was also uh, on the, the staff and also one of the owners of the studio that i started at so this shit was three blocks away from my house i never knew it i heard rumors that like you know when people would be going to school they'd be like yo we just saw bone thugs and harmony and i'm like yeah, right. <laughs> so really just while just driving a <laughs> Yeah, yeah, as long as yeah. you weren't in a limo or something, you could just roll through and like nobody would notice really. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny that now, even now, as a as you know, working how I, you know, in the industry and, and you know, doing some well-known stuff, how uh inconspicuous we still are, and even the studios, if because like if you don't uh -huh. know, it's totally off the map. It's almost like it, it it's it's like invisible, it's like it's hidden totally. in great sight. A lot of these <laughs> studios where a lot of this stuff happens, it's like I lived in Miami for four years and never saw none of these studios. I'm like, where did you? <laughs> I, was, I was in the live side, so I, but I was always like, well, I don't even know where is this stuff happening. And I was like in, in you know Aventura and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, so I was right up the street. Exactly. That's why <laughs> I had no idea. I never saw or heard. Yeah, like no other. Yeah, you really had to be in the know. In Miami to know where even where the studios were. Yeah. They circle house. I had like, I mean, that was hidden yeah, too. So I mean, like all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, <laughs> literally about 10 minutes away from Criteria Studios. It's wow. on the same street. It's on Biscayne Boulevard. It's oh, exactly. So I lived right there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I literally live two minutes away from it now, off to the to the east now. Anyway, well, um, Okay, man, we were that close. I didn't. I was thinking you were like way north of me, and like, oh no. wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm right here. I'm north, just North Miami. Dang. Okay. <laughs> so I started there, um, and 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 things. It's just, just you know, kismet, man. Things happen the way they're supposed to happen. Um, I yeah. 
the I first applied. time I, I'll say well, the Go first time it. I saw your name and credits was in uh the beer and chicken. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ludicrous. Actually, yeah, wow, yeah. That was my first I, major credit. And that was crazy because out out by that time I wasn't really buying that many CDs, but I was like, you know what, I'm gonna buy this CD. And then I yeah, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, let me look through the liner notes. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah, I know somebody in the line. <laughs> that was recorded at that studio at Audio Vision Studios in North Miami. Um, Ludacris was here for uh, like Memorial Day weekend or something, and he just popped in and he had to he had to do the hook. Him and Shauna in uh, in the second verse, he popped in. It was a four hour session. I wasn't even a full engineer at the time. I was still considered an assistant, so I got paid like lame assistant money. <laughs> but you got some and, credit <laughs> oh well you know at the time it is what it is it, you know it was cool um uh-huh. i'm listening I, I i remember i did the the song and uh you know everything went well this is how i like i i was so so green to the to the whole situation still that like i don't know maybe a month or two later i was driving in the car and i heard the song and i didn't remember the song and it was like one of those kind of like deja vu things where i was like man this sounds familiar yeah, so he popped in. We did the record. I'm, uh, yeah, a couple months later, I, I heard the record. I didn't, it didn't dawn on me until maybe right when the song finished that I was like, that's the song I recorded. And it blew my mind. I was so super excited, you know, you know, happy and all that. And then um, the next one was when um, actually Shama, he, he called me and said, Congratulations. And I was like, For what? He's like, Well, your name's in that album. And he sent me a picture. And I literally, hit a u-turn and went straight to the music store to buy an album to go see my name on the project and that was a big record for me that was a great selling point for me because that that was grammy nominated yeah that was a huge um, I have yeah. To, yeah it was grammy nominated it was produced by kanye west um best uh i got it on the wall here nominated for best uh solo male performance nice um, we lost to Eminem. Eminem had that big record, Lose Yourself. To Lose the Yourself, yeah. Oh, man, that record was humongous, man. Humongous. It was no. If it wasn't for M, we would, I would have had my gram. Yeah. What, what it taught me, that 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 one um, credit right there was really the one of the biggest lessons of my career that I had, that I it took me, you know, it introduced me to the business and, and what this business is really about. And what it was, was that, first off, I was getting paid $10 an hour. It's a four-hour session. So I got paid $40 for this record. Mm-hmm. So even though it's a big record, you know, <laughs> you got a lot of work to do to make sure them lights still get paid, you know? So mm-hmm. that was a stark, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, I don't even know what to call it, just impactful moment where I was like, wow. Because in my head, before going to Full Sail, and even while <laughs> in Full Sail, I figured if I got a platinum record and I've worked at, criteria studios then everything else falls into place like i must be living good by that time for yeah. you know you gotta be, you gotta be killing the game with a platinum record and so here i go on multiple platinum grammy nominated and you know i got 40 bucks for the session so um but i had um uh the guy who became one of my 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 mentors into the industry industry was a, a gentleman known by by the name of disco rick uh, which he had, he's a, he's a, a Miami bass music, uh, kind of like him, him and Luke are like hand to hand. Like, uh, Luke was the godfather, but Disco Rick is like not too far behind him. 
And he had records like your mama on crack rock and he had him <laughs> wiggle, wiggle, wiggle and stuff like that. Oh, I remember wiggle, wiggle. Yeah. So, <laughs> wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. So yeah. Disco Rick and the Dogs, which I, it's funny, it's funny enough, I was a big Disco Rick fan. So when I met Disco, it bugged me out. So Disco really took me on his, under his wing and he kind of became my, my pseudo manager. And um, he's the one who told me, he's like, um, now you got something to sell yourself with. Now that you mm -hmm. got, you've done something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, now you can promote yourself and tell people that you've done something that they can register. Like, oh yeah, I know that record. And um, that's what we did. Yeah. And, uh, I sold the hell out of that. Yeah. Oh. I'm the guy. Who exactly. Did that. Yeah, up. I, I say that's like you know when you're first out of school and they're like every uh, entry level needs three to four years of experience. That's mm -hmm. kind of like what your credits are. Uh -huh. It's like, how do you get a gig until you get credits? But how do you get credits without a gig? You know, it's like, which right. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, that's basically what this is. It's like, you know, when you work at certain places, people are more apt to pay attention. Like in the live world for me, it was working at Claire. It was like, all right, once you work there, it's going to be hard for any other sound company to say no. <laughs> so right, which right. you know it just made it that much easier so yeah yeah for sure um and then that's when it started kind of the road of just the grind that's where the grind came in and because <laughs> now it was like it, it's 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 crazy because um you know even you know with that bit of success and and i started getting bigger gigs i started working with like uh uh Ghostface Killer, Busy Bone, Method Man, Raekwon, a lot of these guys early. Um, and um, again, it was a grind. I was doing Busy Bone and, and, uh, and Ghostface Killer back to back. I was doing like Busy during the day and then Ghost would come at night and I was literally just sleeping in the in the lounge. They tell me when my client shows up mm -hmm. and I was doing that for years. You know, mm -hmm. all this time I got a newborn child when I just when I started interning, my son was born. So it was a different, um, I didn't have any uh, leeway to kind of play around, you know, because no matter how cool it was for me as a as a fan of the game, when I came home, you know, I had the missus, you know, with a handout and, you know, my, my parents, everybody's like, okay, where's the money? Yeah, that sounds cool, but <laughs> where's the money? And so I had to, I had to really like bust my ass and really uh, make this shit make sense. Not just for me, because for me, yeah, you know, as anybody, and I think a lot of kids coming up now, they 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 don't understand the the responsibility of you know just being an adult <laughs> and, and and paying rent and shit. They just they're cool with like crashing on couch, you know, being at their mom house and doing this, which is cool. If I mean, you know, but you shouldn't take advantage of that and should already you should build to be in a, in a place to, where you're self sustainable. I mean, yes. above all, because sometimes I hear kids tell me stuff like. uh you know, this is my this is my you know plan A. I don't have a plan B, and it's like yo, and I and I would tell them, and it sounds crazy coming from me because okay, yeah, this is what I do. But hey, if this wasn't making me money, I got to do something that's gonna make me money. Not to say I wouldn't I would stop doing music, but it would be a, a great hobby of mine. I got to make money, and so I try to explain that to even kids now, where it's okay to have a job and pursue music. Like you can. You know, well, right you on your off time. Yeah. <laughs> you I'm have to. Buying this <laughs> own own I know to I, keep up with getting. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had kids tell me they're gonna quit school, like college, to focus on a music career. It's like, why? Why do you have to quit college for that? Yeah. No sense. I mean, because I, you know, I always, ref I always go back to the story about Eminem, 
where Eminem he he talks about he used to be a a, a bus boy in a in a in a in a restaurant and he would write on napkins and shit. Mm-hmm. And it popped for him because why? Because he had a daughter and he had to pay he had to yeah. that money. Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, quick so question: Do you think do you think having kids uh, pushes you even harder and further? Uh, I mean, it, it, you know, the thing about this industry and the thing about life in general, it's an individual mm-hmm. game. It depends on the individual and it depends on what drives you. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't it, it definitely my kid kept me disciplined and in, in, mm-hmm. in check. But I, like I told you guys earlier, I still had a major chip on my shoulder when it came to my parents and and and, and a lot of people around me that were doubting me. Um, so it was a combination of those two things for me to like, mm-hmm. I'm going to prove you guys wrong and I'm going to show you guys that this was the right decision. No, no. And and then that just became and that just internalized into self discipline and focus for me to like stay on my ass when, when shit was down, man. I I, I had a lot of down times, where I, I and this is before things really started getting better. I was just, you know just just because real life was hitting me. I was still young. I was in my early twenties and and um, I credit I hey man shout out to my young self to keep to sticking with it and, and and seeing the the future. You know even when it was gloomy as shit like that. I just <laughs> I was done stick with this shit. I'm not gonna waver, um, yeah. even to the point where me and me and the baby mom split and all that, and uh, and I still said, "Hey, I've done all this sacrifice. If I if I if I leave the music game now, I've sacrificed for nothing." Mm-hmm. And I, and I really and it really whittled down down to that's all I had was this 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 dream this 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 passion for music and this uh, want to to be a player uh, in uh, bringing music to the world. Um, and it was rough. It was very rough because nobody, there was nobody there to say, e, "You're on the right path, man." Everybody was like, "Are you done now? Yeah. Is it out of your system? You good now, playing? All right. So when yeah. you gonna get that real jab? Right. Okay. okay. We we tolerated you long enough. Does it? Is it not obvious to you now that this is not working? Say. This may not be, you know. Yeah, I don't even know what keeps us going at times, but yeah, yeah, I I know exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you've been in anything that you're super passionate about, that it's just, it's not super easy to get to. Like, yeah, just getting that, earning that, and all the shit you got to go through to make it happen. It's just like, Well, because then, uh, like, kind of like we were saying about being uh, hidden in plain sight, it's kind of like so. It's 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 like a whole parallel universe to what like, I I really call the 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 the, the nine to five world like uh, it's kind of it. I I call it I call those people civilians, and and I feel like we're in the matrix. I feel like we ate the red pill and we kind of know what's really going on behind the scenes, how all this shit gets put together, mm-hmm. and what. And these people are the uh, are, uh, and the civilians are the consumers of the of what are of, of the stuff we create. Why I say that because we usually move on the different we we move on the opposite hours of the nine to five world. You know what I mean? So, so, true. Like, so true. So true. So they don't understand that. So later on in my life, I I, I had a better understanding because I, I I did have some. Uh, you know, I, I I wasn't really getting along with with like my parents and, and and some of my people and my family because of that. But later on, I had to understand that they they've been ingrained with uh, the old 
world way of, you know, just you get a nine to five, you work hard, you work your way up, you know, you stay mm -hmm. there for 30 yeah. years, grinding it out. Um, and so that's all they knew. So, you know, that's what they figured is success and you do good and you get a promotion, you know, they give you, you know, an extra dollar an hour and, and you know, wow, congratulations, you know? So, yeah. I, you know, later on, I understood that, but at the time I still had a chip and I had to let them know because again, they didn't get why I'm coming home at four in the morning and I'm sleeping until 12 when they're waking up at five to go to work. My dad especially was like, uh-uh. No, 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 you, you know, you just, you know, we heard, I heard it all. Um, so that was, that was definitely a lot of stuff I had to go through. So then, um, I'll move forward to a big breakthrough that happened for me was, um, I was working with Ghostface and, uh, Ghostface, I'm a big Wu-Tang fan and, and, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to breeze through it a little bit because that in itself, that whole Ghostface, uh, <laughs> It's a <laughs> hour long podcast on the phone. <laughs> we'll come back. Let's, let's come back. Come, come back. Come back on that one. Yeah, for sure. Okay. But, yeah. but it, it, it started out great. And then uh, what I'll say is Ghost was the first client. Because up until because uh, Ghost was early in my career, also. This is this is all early. This is my first year. I didn't, I only probably interned for three months. I didn't intern long because again, the way things worked out, most of their engineers went freelance. And some of them and their head engineer actually moved to start his own studio and uh like up north. Uh and so it was only it was me and one of our other classmates, Devin. I don't know if you remember Devin. Yeah, I remember Devin. He went okay. to Duke. Yeah. Duke, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So De me and Devin were the two engineers there, and it was a three-room facility. So um, and Devin graduated a month earlier than me because he had previous credits from Duke. He had yeah. credits, so he had exactly. So he was kind of the head now and I was kind of the second and uh, but I was still uh, barely there like I was an intern. So I was basically running. But immediately, my, like three months in, you know, the owners got booked out and they were like, are you ready? And of course you say, yeah, you know, and, I, I was <laughs> and um, so, you know, OK, jumping a little bit back uh, into the future. <laughs> Months later, after I first started there, um, I started working with Ghostface and, you know, we hit it off. We hit it off early and then um, ran a snag where, again, like I said, the sessions I was doing when I when I told him I was ready, everybody loved me. Everybody thought I was the best. And, you know, all the way through school, I was like, you know, it, my dream was happening exactly how I had pictured it. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. And then I met Ghostface and Ghostface. Maybe a weekend, man, was not happy with his vocal sound, was just not happy with anything. The AC was too hot. It was too cold. <laughs> it was just everything could go wrong that would go wrong. And he had <laughs> and, um, and I'm just sweating bullets every session. I, 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 I honestly, I got to a point where I dreaded going because I really didn't know what to do. I was out of my element. And, you know, and this guy's not only just a, 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 a music industry veteran, multi-platinum artist, but he's also like a guy that I admired as an artist. Mm -hmm. And he is just not happy with me. He was happy with me, but he was not, he wasn't all the way there. And I mean, I, I to the point where I, I tried to excuse myself several times and say, hey man, maybe I'm just not the guy. And his managers would be like, no, Ghost loves you. He loves you. He's just breaking your balls. And oh man. <laughs> So what ended up happening though, it got to a point where just we 
I couldn't take it anymore. And, you know, again, this is just me being young. And this could have been a make or break uh, moment. I could have really uh, lost because of this situation where um, I, I ended up uh, stepping away from the session because I just couldn't, I really couldn't take it. It was a lot of pressure and I, I just wasn't, I don't, I didn't feel like I was uh, doing the project justice. And so I stepped away. And because of that, well, there was some, there was some, okay, I remember now. It was a little beef going on with the, the studio too, because technically, like I told you guys, I was still an assistant. Oh, so the 10 paying, an hour. So they were paying me oh, yeah. you know, okay. assistant money for head, <laughs> en head engineering. Uh, uh, a major artist. A major <laughs> recording yeah. artist for Def Jam Records. Hey. And I did have a, I did step to them because I did find a PO. And I said, hey, look, it's so, I, I'm, I'm not going to hit you because they were charging 40. I said, look, just give me 20. You know, I get it. I'm young. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't budge. So I was still going through these hassles and it was getting, I mean, you know, you know, again, not to turn this into to that, but I mean, we got into oh. the spaces and all that. It was, it was, it was a lot. So because I, I, and I just got to the point where I was like, I'm not getting paid enough. So I left, which blackballed me from that studio, that studio, even though they, they might not say they did, you know, and, and, and just to say this, uh -huh. um, I'm still, I, I, me and ghost, we, we cleaned it up. I, I ended up, later on going back and hanging out with ghost not as an engineer just as a homie and to this to his same sessions he got a new engineer and i would just hang out with them and listen to music and just talk shit and like that yeah so you know because i don't want him i tell the story but i have to i have to tell tell people that you know we cleaned it up he was he was he was a, a problem he it was a lot to take care of him but um well but he, he squashed it though I have a, a ghost face story in the live world. <laughs> Actually, we did a whole Wu-Tang Clan at Revolution wow. in Fort Lee. And, we, and my mentor, Courtney, was doing monitors for Wu-Tang. Uh -huh. If you can imagine, that's like 12 wireless mics on the stage at one time. And you're trying to like follow who, you know, because you can't have them all up, you know, yeah. take stuff. But... <laughs> Ghostface and uh and Raekwon, they almost got into a fight with my mentor just over monitors. So I mean, you know, uh, so that yeah. sounds about you know, this, yeah. <laughs> it's not the easiest, yeah, group right. to get, you know. It's a lot because it's so much going on. And they always it's kind of a chaotic, super chaotic. Yeah, it's a lot going on, and you're like, who's you know, and they had Wu Tang. And, you know, minus ODB by this time, unfortunately. Right. But it was still like three or four other guys too. Yeah, it was just like okay, yeah, just packed. So I, I can I can imagine how it would be in the uh, in the studio because it's yeah. chaotic on stage. So. so that so that that threw me. So now I'm not working because that that at that yeah. I, I was technically staffed there. I wasn't freelance yet. So now they weren't booking me again. They didn't. It was not it was uns it was unspoken, but you know, I wasn't getting any sessions. And really, um, and then and then you know, ghost and then the ghost was like a great opportunity. So I was like really like in a and then and then honestly in the personal life too. I, I think me and the, the missus weren't already kind of eh, at odds. So it was like a lot coming down on me at that same yeah. time. And you know, that's when even I had to like I broke down kind of like and had to question, like, man, did I make the right choice? Were these people right? You know, and that's wow. and that's that goes to, to say just to people that have uh, loved ones that are trying to pursue their dreams. It's like 
it's important to just give some type of positive reinforcement, even if you don't understand it, you know, at least, at least respect and admire their drive for something, you know, because I was definitely alone at that point where there was nobody that could say, Hey man, just keep stick with it. I was the one that somewhere somehow found it in myself to say, I'm, I'm going to stick with it. So what I ended up doing was kind of like, after I was kind of like in my woes or whatever I was, I literally, again, this is pre-YouTube and all that. And if there was a YouTube, I don't, it wasn't very, uh, you know, the internet in, in general, even though this is probably around, what, 03, 04, was still pretty limited on what you could find, you know. It was Super kind of, limited. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, but I was literally searching for vocal techniques, recording vocals, anything like that. So I found a couple different books, you know, uh, and I was just, I went like on a tear reading anything and everything. And I had a little Digio one set up at my house and I would just again, record myself and, and try techniques and EQ myself and compress myself and, and just practice, practice, practice. And during this downtime where I wasn't getting booked, cause I told myself, you know, um, I'm, I, I, I was still attending like open mic nights and going out to things to try and just drum up business for myself. So I was like, when, when the opportunity presents itself again, I'll be prepared. Um, and that's kind of what I did with that downtime. So then I got a call from Disco Rick that he was starting his own studio. And um, he wanted me to be the head engineer. So I went over there, which wasn't too far. It was actually very close by uh, Aventura. Mm-hmm. And um, my first artist uh, I was working with was Uncle Luke. <laughs> um and I everybody in Miami knows who Uncle Luke is. I remember, I remember seeing those in the albums. South, period. <laughs> so yes. the first time I'm meeting Uncle Luke, and wow. Yeah. And it's funny because Uncle Luke had kind of already passed. He wasn't past it because he still does it now. He still yeah. has a party. But he was like, he would literally come to the sessions right after coaching uh Oh, you know, football and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, for the kids, yeah. Yeah, he, he had like a league and stuff. And so yeah. he would come there sometimes still in his like shorts and the whistle and all that. <laughs> but um, what that did was that project was his last, uh, you know, LP that he ever put out. And what that did, being that it was, and it was already kind of said in the industry, and at, at least in Miami music scene, everybody knew that Uncle Luke was working on his last album. Um, everybody came out and this was my introduction to the Miami music scene because, um, because of that project, I met, uh, Trick Daddy, uh, Pitbull, Oof. Jackie O, um, Trina. Oh yeah. Um, that's an era. Yeah. That 2005 is, or four. Yeah. This yeah, is, yeah. And this is, this is, this is Trick Daddy. This is Slip and Slide Records. Oh, this is Trick Daddy yeah. and Trina at their pinnacle. Yeah, shut so, up. <laughs> and all, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. my goodness. Bad as shit. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And then um, um, in the midst of that, at that point, Disco started calling me Eddie Mix. And I didn't like Eddie Mix because um, there's a DJ that used to DJ here in Power 96 called Eddie Mix. So I was like, man, there's already a DJ. He's like, nah, but you mix, mix. You mix on the boards. And I was like, Ugh. But he would call me that in front of everybody all the time. Like, oh, this Eddie Mix. Oh, yeah, you know, blah, 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 blah. Eddie Mix, Eddie Mix. Yo, Eddie Mix. And so Uncle Luke started calling me Eddie Mix. Trick started calling me Eddie Mix. Um, Trina, all of them started calling me Eddie Mix. Um, and then um, I still hated it. 
And I still kind of like roll my eyes, like uh, it's somebody else's name. And then uh, one time I went to the club for uh, Uncle Luke's birthday. And um, I was actually at the studio. They left me there. And they were like, oh, when you finish up, come come check us out at the, at the, at the party. So I went to the party. And when I walked on, I was walking through the, like, the crowd up to the DJ booth where Uncle Luke was at. He was on the mic. He goes, yo, give a shout out to my engineer, Eddie Mix. And then everybody looked at me. And I was like, uh. so then in my head, immediately, I said, well, I guess I'm Eddie Mix now. And that's where that my name came from. Uh-huh. And then I just flipped it to E-Mix because then it just kind of differentiated. Plus, a lot of my friends call me E anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I, changed it, I changed it to E-Mix. It just, it just made a lot of sense because I was still getting confused, regardless of what. Because I'm sure the DJ probably just named himself Eddie Mix. Where my, I think my, my origin story is a lot better than his, but yeah. you know, who has time to tell that? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people would be like, are you from Power 96? I'm like, no. But uh, E-Mix was just the easy way to just, um, e yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, during those sessions, there was a young rapper um, that he was signed to Slip and Slide also. He was writing for Trina. He was writing for a couple other people. He had already did some features, but he was still uh, underground doing some mixtapes. And uh, he had a song where he's dissing the CEO of Slip and Slide. And he used a reference of Uncle Luke because, um, you know, well, I'm not even going to get into that. But, yeah, if you dig in there, you'll see. But there's a connection between them. So and uh, uh, Disco Rick played it for Luke and Luke liked it. He laughed and he was like, yo, we need this kid on the song. <laughs> so, boom, that kid was uh, Rick Ross. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rick Ross came in and... Uh, and he's always been the same. He's the boss. He was the boss when he first walked in. And again, this is, he don't got a plaque. He doesn't have anything. Just, but he had that bravado. He had that attitude. And he, he definitely had the skills. So the first time he did his record, which it's, you can find it on iTunes. It's a, it's a song called Oh My God on uh, Uncle Luke's Life and Times of Freaky Tales or some shit like that. It's a song with him, Uncle Luke, and uh, Dirtbag. That's the first time I ever recorded Rick Ross. Oh. And um, immediately he was just super impressive. And I was like, yo, I've never heard anything like this. Cause he was talking that Miami slang, but he was doing it in a very articulate, more, 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 I don't know, strategic way. More of like, that's why a lot of people say he, he rapped like a New York dude. Yeah. But, but I don't even, <laughs> I won't even say that, but it was just, he was very uh, lyrical. You know, he, 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 he knew how to write. He was a great writer. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, me and him hit it off. I started doing mixtapes. Uh, I, I know I, the first thing I ever did for him was burn him some extra mixtapes. He came to the studio and he just said, hey, man, how much how, how much you you charge me to just that whole. Remember, that's when we had the CDs. He <laughs> charged me to just burn that whole school, my mixtapes. So I worked out some deal with him. I guess, it, you know, he liked it. So we hit it off. Um, funny and enough, like, I, I, I went to his house. Ask a, you a quick question. I, I love, I love Rick Ross. Like that, like he is one of my my favorites. Um, yeah. Is he all? Uh, he was always that positive. Like I like him because when you listen to the lyrics, it's really positive. Yeah. It's about getting money. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, all right, you gotta. But it's a positive spin to it, though. Is, yeah. is He's, that was always there, and that was like it was always. Well, he's like a—he's uh, a big question mark. He's a—he's an anomaly in himself, you know. 
I'm like, literally reading this book right now, funny enough, Hurricane. <laughs> yeah, I'm listening to it right now, Audible. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm fascinated. Uh, yeah, I'm fascinated. I'm in, I'm in the book. Oh, you're you know? in the book. I can't wait to yeah. get to it. I'm in his early years right now. I just started yeah. it like yesterday. But <laughs> a real deal, Carol City, Miami dude. Yeah, um, really. You know, and again, I can go into five podcasts about Rick Ross. <laughs> you know, I did nine years as his head engineer, and I've known him for 15 years, wow. if not longer now. Um, but um, especially back then, Ross was a very aggressive guy very um but uh -huh. when it came to the hustle and then when it came to his uh self-discipline and his focus um he was very positive he's one of the people that yeah. speaking things into existence uh -huh. and and in living them into reality where like again when i first met him he was the boss he moved like a boss i i feel like that was by design i think he always did that because he uh -huh. had you know you kind of portray what you want to be and in 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 and you're facing in the direction you want to be face, you know, uh, moving. Yeah. So he, he always had that attitude. He always, he always looked like he had it figured out, you know, <laughs> like he, even when we were going through hard times, when we was going through the whole 50 cent battle and stuff like that, he, and, and this is real talk. And I tell people this, mm -hmm. and I, I don't sugarcoat anything. It would be just me and him in the room. And he never sat there and, and, and said anything negative or, or never said, damn, man, all he would ever say is, man, Watch what watch when we drop this next one on them. Oh, <laughs> Everything is positive. I love yeah, that's what I, yeah. I love about him. It's he just has such an amount of confidence in himself. And yeah. uh, and and uh and uh like I said, he he can see ahead, you know. He knows that the groundwork we're laying down right now is leading to towards the, the bigger goals. And um, you know, I've learned a lot from him. Um, just from that attitude and just being around him a lot. Yeah, it reminds me of this book, Thinking Real Rich, a lot too. Yeah, and I think I hear a lot of the of his yeah. stuff in the music of, of like that book's philosophies, which I, I live by too. Yeah. Um, and that's why I really get into him too, because it's like, oh, I know where he got this. From. Yeah, that's speaking into existence and being it, and yeah, 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 hundred percent, love it. Not by these Reeboks. That's him, right? Yeah, not, not by these Reeboks. He know it. He know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, we want to get pumped. Yeah, I've had a couple hiatuses. Me and him would just we bump heads and stuff, and I wouldn't be around. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I meet him. I meet. I actually go on to start working on Trick Daddy's next project, which was the Thug Matrimony album, which was also, uh, I think, it, I believe, it debuted number one. Um, it was. It's a platinum album now. That was uh the the lead single on that was the Let's Go record. Let's go. If you yeah. want, you can get it. Let me know. You know, it had that Ozzy Osbourne sample in there. Yeah. Um, so that was that project. So I went right into that project. So now all of a sudden I'm booming, booming. Now I'm with the biggest uh, rap artist in Miami. Um, we just had another, we just had a, a, a major uh, release, you know, had a couple records on there that went big. We had a sugar record with CeeLo and uh, Lil' Kim on it. Mm -hmm. um, and so now I'm, I'm, 
I'm I'm out here. I'm emix now. <laughs> My identity <laughs> solidified, and I'm like yeah. a player in the Miami industry, Miami music industry. So I'm doing that, and then um, I actually started to work. I was one of the the, the first people there on the on the on the ground floor when uh, Trick started Donk Rider Records. So I was working with him and his artists when uh, one day one of his artists, which he was a high schooler still, we'd wait for him to come from school so we could start recording. He came in and he said, man, Ross got him one. And we're like, yeah, he said something like whip it, whip it real good. We were like, oh, for real? And um, when the video came out, uh, when they shot the video, it was right down the street at the Carol Mart, uh, um, there's a uh, flea market which is not there anymore, they knocked it down. But that was like iconic for Carroll City. So we all went out there and that was like one of the times I got to, uh, that's when I hadn't seen him in a while. And so we kind of rekindled our uh, relationship and was like, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we kind of just, you know, exchanged numbers, et cetera. But it didn't pick up. Moving forward, I fall out with Trick. I started doing work, but I was kind of out here though. I had enough uh, network now where I just kind of jumped into another project. But what's funny enough is, Half of the shit wasn't paying on time, if paying at all. Um, and um, I remember I was uh, working on a Trina project and and literally I had no lights on at the time. But I just kept working because I was like, as long as I keep tallying up this money at some point, these people still owe me. So I'd rather be owed than just have nothing. Nothing, yeah. Still not, <laughs> I still don't have anything. I just have like, IOUs and shit, you know? <laughs> And yeah, baby, we'll get back to you. Like, <laughs> it was rough. Um, yeah. And oh, then, yeah. Um, step in. My next uh, mentor was, uh, he's a full cell grad, uh, Ray C, which he graduated in, I think, in 90, 1990, mm-hmm. right around the same time that uh, Leslie did. I think Leslie was 89 or something. Mm-hmm. I know they were both around the 90s. Yeah, early but, 90s. Uh, but um, he, he called me. I had worked with him before. I had a system on some mixes. I, 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 matter of fact, my first, first, well, I didn't get a credit, but my first big record that I worked on as an assistant doing the clean version was for the Yin Yang Twins. Um, from the window to, to the, the wall. wall. <laughs> ah, that's, that ripped us out. Jeez. Yeah, so he, <laughs> he, he had mixed that record, and I got had to assist him on doing the, the, the super clean. Oh, you know, that's a lot of work. Oh yeah, recalling, recalling the board back in the day, and this was back when you know we had all the gear and we had the, like you know, little papers with the little knobs, and we had to kind of try and match it. But anyway, that just fast. So so anyway, coming back to where I was, so Ray C came back into my life um, by accident, and um, I started assisting him a little bit. So things kind of had kind of picked up, but then he ended up moving to Atlanta, and so he offered me to move, but I had my kid and I couldn't do it. And so I was in a rut there. So this is where I am at. And I know I'm jumping around, but this is where I was at with the Trina situation where I told you I had no lights. Because mm-hmm. he had left and I'm just kind of doing one-off gigs. Yeah. Um, and uh, things were like, I'm slowly, you know, sinking in the in the, the quicksand. Like I'm, I'm surviving, but I'm not really thriving. Thriving, yeah. And, but I'm doing major shit. Well, hey, what are you uh-huh. working on? Oh, I'm working on Trick Daddy. Oh, I'm working on... <laughs> On Trina, I'm doing this, but it's like, man, financially man. ruined. Dude. I'll, I'll have some lights yeah. on maybe next month. <laughs> so, Racy came down to do a session at Circle House, and I came to visit him just to visit him on some, hey, what's up? Yeah. And I, I go into the hallway, and 
It's uh, Rick Ross and DJ Khaled there. Now this is a this is hustling had came out. Rick Ross is the guy. Um, Khaled is is you know Khaled is Khaled. And, Khaled and was, Khaled if you was, weren't in Miami when hustling came out, um, jeez, <laughs> that track hustling by Rick Ross that Rick just. Ross? destroyed every club because i was on the live side so i was yeah. in all the clubs and when i mean the clubs just it just it was a destroyer every time and it would play like two and three times in a night like so yeah, yeah, yeah. he was at the height of whatever you could do miami rap wise yeah so. so so yeah so um i had assisted a little bit i know i'm kind of jumping around but i did i did actually assist a little bit on the trailer album which was the second album yeah and um we had talked about like Hey man, we gotta link up. We gotta, you know, let's do this thing. And but uh, and they just never formulated. So then I bump into him there on chance in 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 the lobby, and we talk. And he's like, "Look, I'm working on my next album. I don't. I, I got a studio in Atlanta. I don't have an engineer though. I just got some guys in there press and record. I need somebody to come up and clean stuff up." At this point, honestly, and I tell people like this because I don't. I, I I try and keep it real for people that listen, especially kids that are trying to come up. Yeah, like, it, it's okay to have doubts and, and and feel like man you know i don't know be down like I, I think a lot of people portray like man i was i was always positive i was uh <laughs> i was always on the, you know i saw it you know no i was at, when he told me that i was literally thinking about already quitting i was already like i'm done they I, they, they got me maybe they were they, i think they were right they, yeah. they told me no, i'm just gonna get me a job and um, when Ross presented that opportunity to me, I honestly counted. I said, okay, day rate, blah, 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 two weeks. I said, I can come home with enough money to kind of give me some leeway for about two months to look for a real job. That was going to be my, my escape money. That was going to be the money, you know, that last, uh, the last hurrah. Let me just last get the very last one and I'm out. And uh, so I, I fly up there. Gone. Yeah, I fly up there. And uh, actually, it was funny because it was like two weeks. Like they told me, yeah, yeah, we're going to go. And then they never they, like I kept calling them like, what are we doing? What's going on? I wasn't used to this. That That's when I started to learn just how chaotic this shit is. Uh-huh. And then literally Thanksgiving night. All right, we out. I was like, what? Yeah, you got your ticket. I'm, 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 I'm sending it to you right now. And so I just I just packed up and just left Thanksgiving night to to, to Ross's crib. This is 2000. Eight now, uh, Thanksgiving 2008. I go up there, and mind you, like I said, I told you back when Ross, before Ross was big, I've been to. He had a townhouse, and he had a dope townhouse, and he had a big Shark Tank and all that. But it was not what I was coming to now. Like we went up there, and he had this mega mansion with the double R's on the gates and the Holyfield mansion. Well, not yet. No, that wasn't. Oh, okay. No. This was um, but this this house is oh, right down the street from the Holyfield Mansion, and this is yeah. another another testament to speaking into existence. He literally moved in that community because it was a mile away from the Holyfield Mansion, so he would drive by the Holyfield Mansion all the time, and just he like he liked it. And this yeah. is way before he ever thought he would be buying it. Uh-huh. And he would, you know, I, you know, I can't speak for him, but uh, from what I believe, like you know, you know, he, I believe he felt like one day, uh-huh. um. So yeah, it was literally down the street. So when I get there, you know, he smokes me out, I'm super high, and he starts playing me the music, and I'm just blown away. 
some yeah. of the dopest shit I ever heard. And I'm like, wow. Because he had already been working uh, for the most part. Probably about six six of the songs were already pretty much done. You know, needed to be cleaned up, but they were yeah. but they were recorded. And um, I was I was I was uh, super amazed. And then he kind of just said, "Man, go ahead, man. This you. This this is your studio. You rock out, clean. You know." And then he went upstairs, left me there, and I'm just high listening to shit, start touching up stuff. Like two days later, well, I don't even know if it was a whole two days later. He's like, "Yo, we gotta go. We got we got a show. We're gonna be on the road for a little bit. Um, just go in." So he literally left me in this mansion by myself in the woods for two weeks to sit with this music. Um, this, this album, this was actually, this was the Deep It and Rap. This is right before, this is, this is the pre stuff for Deep It and Rap. Ah. So I cleaned all that up as much as whatever I had there. And when they came back, he listened to everything. He was like, oh man, that's it. I need you. And then we had a big meeting and, and, uh, what turned into my last hurrah turned into my new beginning, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, uh. <laughs> You know, we went through we went through a lot because that was I was just you know now I'm a part of the team and I remember the day I uh, I sent the email to all uh, back then it was email blasts and um, yeah you know uh, those kind of things you send it to the big email blast guys and they're the ones who who pump it out to all the the DJ uh, coalitions and all that stuff uh-huh. you know back then they used to have those DJ uh, you know, conventions and meetings where like the artist would go to and you link up with all the different DJs and all that. So, you know, we would email blast it to all the DJs so it could spread out. Mm-hmm. And so that record was uh, Mafia Music, which Mafia Music is the record that had the, that started the, the the 50 Cent beef. You know, that was the record that like 50 Cent we had retaliated to and then we just, it snowballed into this thing. Uh-huh. Um, so those were trying, those were, those were, pretty uh testing times coming in as the new guy on the team and uh and we had another new guy with me it was a film dude named spiff tv that he was doing all the videos but it we always thought it was funny that i remember one one time 50 said uh he's like oh he's wasting his whole budget on on all this material he's putting out against me you know he thought def jam was paying for all this he thought he thought ross had the whole building behind him and it was really just three, four of us, you know, at Ross's house, you know, I was recording and mixing everything and, and, and they were shooting guerrilla style videos, you know, just on the street and all this stuff was in house. Ross was just paying us. It had nothing to do with Def Jam. And um, I, I tell that story because we, I, they could battle me. They could, they could say whatever they want to say. We were one of, we were like the first real major artists to really start flooding the scene with a lot of content early mm-hmm. like doing interviews doing freestyles we were doing freestyles every week we were doing uh just different pieces because we were battling 50 so 50 50 was was doing it we were retaliating to 50 in the beginning but then we kind of took it from 50 and we took the reins and started we created the pace and we outpaced 50 in his own game where 50 was doing like cartoons and he was doing a pimping curly thing he was like this character with the wig and so what we started doing was, um, and again, the reason why we did this was because now that we had this 50 cent attention on us, we had all his crowd following us also, you know what I mean? Trying to, you know, 
oh, you know, and of course they were all like, oh, this fat dude from Miami, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, 50's going to tear him up because at, at that point, 50 was the giant killer, you know, J Ja Rule and Fat yeah. Joe. So they didn't even know, they didn't even know who Rick Ross was. Oh, he's some South dude. Oh, he's out of here. And so we took this opportunity um, with that light shining on us now to pump him with content, pump him with music. We, we kept the player and Ross is a slick talker. And, you know, so they got to know this guy and they got to know his music. And we went out of our way to start rapping on all hip hop beats, old school hip hop beats. He shot a video in uh, 50 Cent's hood and everything. And it was all guerrilla style. It was all like, yo, just start filming. We're, we're, I'm right here. Boom. And we we were pumping him out, pumping him out. And this was like right when World Star first started, World Star Hip Hop. And so we were pumping something on there damn near every three days. And um, it started to take a hold. It, um, you know, in the beginning, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, he's all right. And then, they were, you know, no, first it was like he wasn't shit. And then it would be like, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, you can say what you want, but he kind of, all right. And then, it, and then it turned into, yo, dude is nice. Uh huh. And uh, we won everybody over. And when the album came out, debut number one. And um, proof was in the pudding. Fast forward, now we're now we're now everybody loves us again because a lot of people like already started kind of backing away. You know, oh man, Fifty is gonna murder this dude. It all looks bad. So a lot of people were tentative, didn't want to mess with us. So now after that, now everybody wanted to work with us. So when it came to Teflon Don, Teflon Don was like, um, to me that's 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 definitely I probably. Um, there's other albums I did a lot and there was a lot of me in there but that album is a lot of blood, sweat and tears there was a lot of stress and, and, uh, and passion well, in that project hey I listened to that thing religiously when I moved here to New York it was just like my grinding album <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I mean, that, yeah we mastered all our projects up there oof, the wow. yeah yeah and I went to every mastering, every album that I ever worked on with Ross, I've uh, attended the mastering sessions. That's how. That's oh, where where do you master it? At, it was at Sterling. We mastered with Chris oh, Athens. Yeah. Chris Athens now has moved to Austin, Texas. Oh. Um, so we still master with uh, Chris. But um, but yeah, at the time he was at Sterling right there over by uh, Chelsea Market. Yeah. Mm, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Chelsea Market. I miss the gelato there. I know, right? So, <laughs> so yeah those those projects so you know just to kind of i mean there's so again i could go so deep on rick ross and stuff like that and you know and i'd love to as no diss to him at all that's my brother you know oh no but this is your story but uh yeah <laughs> but you know because i could just hey. like i said it's, it's old movie oh, yeah i'm sure it's like, and you get a little inkling of it i talk a little bit about bmf in the book you, you, well then i don't talk about it but it, it's it, they talk about me with the whole BMF thing. Oh, as as okay. How reported BMF. Yeah, I can Yeah, blowing money fast. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and, and I will speak on BMF a little bit where like um, that was the first time I've ever been a, a part of like a runaway like hit. And it's oh. a different feeling. You know, and it's funny because the origins yeah. are so funny because um, real quick, um, we were working on a mixtape. Every every album Ross did, he'd always do a mixtape previous. He would always kind of, we'd always do like the industry album, but then we'd always do something for the streets. 
So I remember at that time, Diddy was kind of like fake managing. I don't even want to say fake. I don't know. That's just a, a slang term because I think people take it wrong. It's not fake. It's like sort of managing. The reason why I say that is just because Ross is kind of unmanageable. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> it's a ball. You know, so you, how you going to manage the ball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you're managing, but it's only because he's allowing you to manage him. Yeah, you know, so Diddy was it was definitely around. And we, I remember yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we went to Daddy's house in New York, and um, which was a big thing for me, you know, Biggie. Oh, and yeah. stuff. I mean, yes, I mean, who hadn't heard about and Daddy's house is uh, Diddy's uh, studio from back in the day. I mean, from the yeah, so we played the, the mixtape, we were playing just records right now. It wasn't even uh, it wasn't a mixtape yet, it was just a a collective of songs that we had and two of those songs were uh, um what the hell's the other record uh it's with gucci on it oh man oh yeah uh, i know uh, come to me but one of them was bmf and the other uh -huh. one was uh the other record Jeez. Mm -hmm. brain MC hammer mc hammer yeah. Yeah. There <laughs> you go. i tell you that yeah. was that was in the car grinding, trying to make it here in New York City. My first year here, that was like 2009 or so, 2000 yeah. or something. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, oh, that was, I, that was the end of 2009 going into exactly. Yeah, I listened to that so, all the time. <laughs> yeah, so we played those songs, and Puff was like, You're not putting these out on the mixtape, you're not getting, yeah, that was gonna be on the mixtape. <laughs> oh, it, it, it ended up on the mixtape. Oh, it was. <laughs> Again, you're not gonna manage Ross if he has his mindset around here. What you telling me? That's what I'm doing. So they we he he made a big stink about it. Then this was early. This is way before we even had a track list for the mixtape. And he was like, no, no, no. So here we go. We're we're wrapping it up. And I think B, I don't even think no, 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 no. It was only MC Hammer. BMF wasn't even done yet. BMF maybe was a beat. Uh -huh. I, don't even, I don't even know if we had it, but we had MC Hammer. Uh -huh. And they're both produced by the same producer, which is uh yeah, I could hear that. <laughs> yeah, that's um man, brain farts, man. I just talked to him the other day, too. <laughs> He's from Virginia. Um, it'll come to me. But um yeah, so um yeah, BMF wasn't there yet. So this is why I know because now my story's gonna lead into BMF. So we had um MC Hammer, and then we needed another joint like that. We wanted that up tempo. We love that. So boom, we got we got the BMF beat. Um, and uh, Ross went to writing it. He had to fly out the next morning, and he went to writing it. But he had just came back from somewhere and performing, and his vo voice was done. He's, he's, he was talking like this, and it was like, yo, we 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 tried to have a go at it, and it just didn't sound right. So the plan was go ahead and lay down, drink some tea, and. Um, we're going to wake up like at five in the morning. We're going to crank it. We're going to get this shit done before I get on this flight. He had like a 7 a.m. flight or something. So um, he goes to sleep. I sleep over his crib, you know, and um, he wakes up five in the morning. We get in there and he still sounds, he sounds maybe a little better. And uh, somewhere, somehow we, we came to the conclusion, hey, man, just yell that fucker out. I think he started rapping. And when he would get more energy, his voice would have... It, it, it kind of got that body back. It wasn't a whisper anymore. So then I think we just said, hey, man, you got to belt that whole fucking thing out that same way. That's the only way he's going to get out. 
And that's that's how we recorded that. And we did it in 15 minutes, pretty much, because it was like uh, he had already pretty much had it written from the night before. Uh-huh. Just went in there and belted it out. It sounded hoarse, but it, it um it and because he had to belt it out to get his voice to push through that 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 rasp, that it it actually added to the intensity in the in 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 the in in the delivery of of that record. And I think that's what pushed that record over the top. So he flies out, you know, literally. Uh, people are running in the room like, "Yo, we gotta go, we gotta go." Because he's, we're still in there finishing up. I'm like, yo, he's, he's almost done. And they're literally, we ha- we're we going to miss his flight. We're going to miss his flight. So right when he jumps out, we might have listened to it. I think he he literally didn't even listen to the whole song. He was walking out the door, and I just left the door open and cranked it so he could hear it on the way out. And then he's like, clean it up, send it to me, you know, blah, 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 when you when I touch down. Yeah. So mind you, I'm doing a whole mixtape. I'm not even just doing that one song. That just so happened to be the last song we had to record. So I'm kind of touching up everything. Um, I remember doing the delays on that. I think I'm big, Meech, 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 Larry Hoover, who, who whipping work, work. And, uh, I sent it to him. He was like, "Send me the record." I sent it to him. He said, te- he, 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 I think he called me back and he's like, "Yo, take all those delays off. It's just sound terrible." And, and I'm like, "Yo, they dope, man. I think it's dope and whatever." So I. I'm, I, I hang up the phone with him. I start taking him off, and then he, he calls me right back. Nah, keep them. They they got a vibe, and I was like, all right. So I keep them. <laughs> now I, I collect the whole song, uh, all the, I mean the whole project, and I got to go to another studio to master because his setup at the house was limited to only so many tracks. So I needed to do the whole project, master it. I mastered it at at, uh, at Audiovision where I started that same studio. I came there, I mastered it. Get our, our, I had our, our promo guy come right to the studio and pick up the master CD that I burned for him so he could do duplicates. This is back still physicals. So we're doing, mm-hmm. there is no MP3s. People aren't downloading music yet. <laughs> you know, it was real a novelty at that time. I, oh, think yeah. people, I think there was like some, you know, hey, download the project or, you know, but it was still mega CD time at that time. So, um, we burnt we burnt them so that next weekend uh, that was uh so yeah so that was a thursday because we were doing this for more of the weekend so we wanted to have them pressed up and ready so we could start passing them out friday saturday and sunday so thursday wow. so friday we had the physical copies and that friday ross had to record the i think it was the all i do is all i do is win remix and Puffy's in the remix, Nicki Minaj. It was a couple yeah. of And so at the video shoot, the promo guy started putting CDs on everybody's cars and putting flyers, you know what I mean? And so Diddy had his Jeep out there. So, was, you know, he had a, you know, so the promo guy put CDs on his seat. So uh, we're leaving the video shoot and um, uh, Puffy uh, plays the CD. And here's BMF and B lines it over to us to Ross. Is I told you not to put this on a mixture, man. This is too big. He started going to this big thing, and Ross is like, you know, like, chill out. You know, I know what I'm doing, you know, just boss shit. Um, man, and I think that Saturday we had a performance, and um, he didn't even perform it, he just played it in the club. And when I tell you, man, immediately we all looked at each other. 
the crowd for a brand new record that only been out two days with no promo, no radio play. There is no, there is no internet. There is no, you know, you know, what's hip, what's trending. There is no such thing as trending. Um, the crowd reacted different and we all literally gave each other that look across from the room from each other. Like, yo, (laughs) like, are you seeing this? And, um, that Sunday, we had this, uh, it's like a Jamaican festival there. It's called Best of the Best. And uh, Ross was performing. And Ross does BMF. That's the first time he performed it. Um, and by that, because in the beginning of the song, you hear these kind of stomps, these guns, 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 And when that shit happened, the crowd, <laughs> was, uh, you could hear them. <sighs> like, yeah, this is the song. This is the one. He's going to do it. Like, everybody, and like, man, I got goosebumps right now. Like, yeah, ain't nothing like a track exploding in a crowd, especially in Miami. It got it's, super intense. Oh, intense. And, then, then, and then we went and did it, I think, a week later. So already it was, it was, we were already overjoyed and ecstatic about the potential of this record just off of that weekend. A week or two later, we were doing Birthday Bash in Atlanta and Puff was out there. Puff came out and was hyping Ross on this on BMF. And um, I went into the crowd. I used to like to go into the crowd. Instead of being backstage, I like to get the whole crowd experience. Uh, so I went into the crowd. And I remember when um <laughs> I remember when that song was playing, and I, I remember I turned around and just looked, and I could see all the way to the back, everybody just jumping and just rapping along. I think I'm big meech. Very Hoover. Like they knew the lyrics, man. And puppies yeah. on the stage. And that's that's when we all knew and we had like a conversation about it. like this shit is out yeah. here. It's it, it was bananas. Even here, I had moved to New York. It was on every other song on Hot 97. It was just everywhere that BMF was just such a banger. Yeah, <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, such a huge record. Yeah. Uh, you know, won a couple of awards. I think we won some Soul Train awards, some BET awards for it. You know, some banger of the year and shit like that or whatever. Yeah, man. And that was like that was that was a super proud moment for me. Uh, and just the the whole Teflon Don album, like I said, I really put a lot. I mean, I have a long ass pod, pod uh, cast length version of uh, the whole. Uh, I have the platform here. Uh, Aston Martin music. Yeah, and what what was the relationship with your parents then after that? Um, I wouldn't even say they were 100 sold yet. My mom is always <laughs> okay. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was flying. They had new reasons to be annoyed with me. Now I was okay. like, <laughs> you never hear now, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was you know my dad. It was he's a hard guy to please. Now he loves me to death. You know, he, I'm not not to say he never did love me. But, uh, yeah. I told you from the beginning, my dad was a sergeant in the army. So discipline, right? Yeah, he's a he's a he's not a, a, a he's a prickly guy. You know what I'm saying? He's not all soft and cushy. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. It's got to be without a shadow of a doubt because he already seen my downfall. So he was the kind of guy like, well, hey, don't 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 fuck up again. Don't fall backward. You know, that was his kind of way of. Yeah, good. But that was him really being like, watch out now. You might fuck it up again. For more information of booking 23DB Productions, visit their website at 23dbproductions.com. Like and follow 23DB Productions at Instagram, Facebook, 
YouTube, and Twitter for the latest work. <laughs>